leaders need to help with career planning and not feel threatened that that person is going to potentially take your gig. You've done something right if you've brought people in who can take your job. This is Taking the Lead, a podcast for B2B tech professionals, leaders, and executives who want to learn from female icons in the tech industry. In each episode, host Christina Brady interviews women who are driving revenue for some of the most respected tech companies in the world. Are you ready to get inspired? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Lead. I'm Christina Brady. I am the Chief Strategy Officer of Sales Assembly. If you have not heard of us and you are a B2B tech SaaS company, then you need to hear about us. We help your entire revenue organization from BDR to marketer to enablement professional to CS all the way up to C-suite, scale faster, scale better, and scale smarter. If you want to know more about us, visit us at salesassembly.com. That being said, I am very excited today to have Megan Dimmer on the line. Megan, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. It's a nice day here, so I'm ready to go, you know? Ready to do a thing. I'm ready too. (laughs) Amazing. Well, I want to kick us off like I usually do, hearing your own story from you. Tell us what you're doing today, what got you there. I want to hear the journey. Awesome. So I'm the Chief Revenue Officer of Acellus. We are focused on helping enterprise B2B salespeople enjoy selling again in this insane world we live in, right? Yes. I I am a salesperson at the core. So I was a sales leader for the majority of my early career, Fortune 500 tech. And I left that world and moved into uh, professional services. So I bounced out of tech into professional services for a lot of reasons we can talk about later. And I ended up as the CEO of the largest multifamily architecture firm in the world, complete pivot. Mm -hmm. And during that time and during all my sales leadership time, I realized that coaching and helping people on their growth trajectory personally and helping organizations grow was my dream job. And so when I left the professional services world, I started coaching professionally and then when I found Acellus, it was the best of both worlds because we're helping salespeople and I get to coach. So that's where I'm at today. How did you how did you make that transition from large Fortune 500 into smaller companies? Because I don't I don't think that's an easy transition, and I think a lot of people would view that as a potentially scary transition. So what prompted that for you? You know, it's interesting, not only scary transition, but sometimes it's viewed as even personally, I kind of viewed it as, am I taking a step back? Like I'm leaving a Fortune 500. What am I doing going into a privately owned, you know, $70 million company? Right. The reality of it is that I had dreamed of being the CEO someday of an organization. And that was not for the title. That was for the impact. That was for the people. That was, I love leading people and I love coming up with a vision and a strategy and having people get on board and, and, you know, really go march forward with me. And in this tech fortune 500 that I was in engineering led male led, I happened to not be a male if you didn't notice, right? So you don't present as such. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw that as I was rising up in my career as a sales leader, that that opportunity was not going to be at the organization I was at. 
it was a true glass ceiling where my head began to hurt every time I hit it. So I took the odd opportunity, right? So you have the people calling you, you have the recruiters asking if you want to make a move. And there was never a move that seemed better than where I was at until such time came that I realized the writing was on the wall. I wasn't moving up the way that I had hoped. And so I decided the only way I'm going to get there is if I take a chance. And so there was this opportunity for this architecture, engineering, and interior design firm, which as an aside, I love interiors as a hobby. So I was like, this could be cool, right? Yes, same. Speaking and my so language. Mm -hmm. it was succession plan wasn't there with the owner. He needed somebody to come in and run BD and sales and marketing and then rise into that CEO job. And I took the leap. And I'll tell you what, had I not done that, it would have taken a lot longer to get to that seat. And so that's that was the big change. Well, and I think that's what people trip over a lot. I mean, even myself included, is it's especially if you have the wherewithal to know what you want to do. And I think so many people genuinely don't know what they want to do. They're just kind of on the roller coaster and they're like, I'm not really sure where this is going, but I'm on it. And so I'm going to stay on it because I guess it's okay, right? Like so many people live there, I mean, for potentially years or their entire right. lives. But that kind of conscious decision for you, it's always scary to decide, do I stay the course in my current company? I know people here. I know the product. I have a really, really good brand, but it could take a really long time for me to get where I want to go. But it feels almost safer to hedge your bets and stay where you are versus do I leave and go somewhere new and then fear never getting where I was ever again? Like that's the big fear, right? I leave the company in a leadership position and I go somewhere else. And what if that's this high as I ever go? What if I, what if I peaked in high school? You know, it's like this question that people have, like, what if I never, what if I never get there? And so for you, it's like, do you feel like there is one path to take or is it going off of gut and knowing what to do? Like for you, is there a playbook here for how to navigate your career when you know that you have your sights set on C-suite and larger leadership? I would say the playbook is having confidence in that dream and that goal and being willing to step outside of whatever the box is that you put yourself in or someone else put you in Man. to say, I deserve to get there. I've earned whatever place that I'm in right? I feel like there's more out there for me. And if I don't take this chance, if I don't take myself out of the comfortable spot and risk it, I may never get there. Mm -hmm. And to say that it was comfortable getting out of the comfort zone, I'd be completely lying. It was not comfortable, right? And so for other people, when I look back, I wouldn't have done it differently because I wouldn't be where I'm at now. And there are moments where I'd say I looked myself in the mirror and said, am I taking a step back? Like I said earlier, you know, is this is am I taking myself out of a Fortune 500 track and may I never get back in there? And is that ultimately what I want to do? But you make decisions based on where you're at at that point in your life. Can I take the risk weighing the risk? Right. Am I going to am I going to be OK? Of course I am. At the other end of this we are going to be okay as long as we okay. make sure we have ourselves protected, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's drill into some of these lessons because I feel like so many of us find ourselves like at an impasse and we're like, okay, I can either, I can go this way or I can go this way. And so something 
gave you the confidence to take the step and do something a little bit different. What were some of the lessons that you learned when you landed on the other end? Because you mentioned it wasn't all easy. It wasn't always there. So like, what are some of the landmines that we can look out for? And maybe if we know that they're there, they're not as scary, right? But part of it is we don't know what's on the other end of it. I'm going to leap. I don't know what's under there. Is it water? Is it rocks? I don't know. What were some of the landmines that you hit, if any, when you made that switch that made it difficult, even though it was successful? Well, it's interesting. I haven't really thought about that. And when I think about the jump, right? Yeah. So the seat that I was in, there were moments where over the years in sales leadership in the previous organization where the opportunity just never came for that next step. And so I probably sat in a role longer than I should have. And I didn't take the leap maybe sooner that I could have. Yeah. And so I needed to learn from that and say, if I don't do this, then I may never do this, like I said earlier, but then jumping in, I didn't necessarily know what I was jumping into. I didn't probably dig deep enough because as you can tell, I'm not there anymore, right? So there were things there that, you know, people say the grass isn't always greener. I think you can determine yourself. Like I can make the grass greener if I want it to be. Yeah, grass is greener where you water it, right? Yeah, it is greener where you water it. And so some of those landmines were, am I aligned from a values perspective? Is this organization, do they want me for the right reasons? What is it about my skill set that aligns with what they need? What am I bringing to the table that they don't currently have, right? What is it that really sets me apart and makes me the right person, not only for the job that I'm moving into, but that future trajectory in the organization. And so in hindsight now, because I don't think I knew then, I was going fast and I was going right at my goal, right? We've all been there. So here I am like running and I'm going to get there and I, and I hit it. And I'll tell you, I look back on it now and I think, had I thought about those things, had I really had sort of an analysis or an assessment, we do it with our clients. Why don't we do it with our own career? I mean, right. Or our own personal life, but that's a whole nother conversation, right? <laughs> totally. So, <laughs> so had I done that, I may have made different decisions, but I would have still taken the risk. Yeah. I would have still, because I truly was able to go from hitting my head on a glass ceiling to stomping on that glass floor with my stilettos at the time, right? So yes. I think that, I hope that answers your question. I mean, it, 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 it just leads me to more, which is a good thing. And that's the whole point of these, right? Because it's the, the concept of safety is floating around in my mind a lot, which is like, there's risks and there's calculated risks. And you ideally want every risk that you take, there's risk reward, but then there's this calculated element of like, I can take this risk. It is safe for me to take that risk. And what do you feel like, people have to have in their lives in order to feel safe enough to take a risk? Does it come down to financial means? Does it come down to your network? Does it come down to where you are in your life in terms of, do you have a partner who is also providing another income? What is your age? What is your education level? What is your experience? Like what are, what makes up sort of the perfect formula for taking a calculated career risk? That was also kind of a big question. So take that however you want to. That Came off bigger than I thought it would be. (laughs) There you go. Just answer that. Yeah, answer it for us. We all want to know. We all want to (laughs) know. I wouldn't say that I have the formula figured out necessarily, right? So for me, 
as I think about how I would coach someone on the topic, what worked for me, I'm a firm believer that you have to have your life team. So that is not a professional statement. That is a personal statement, a life team that, you know, you can pick up your phone, a friend. And literally, I'm not talking text. I'm talking, pick up that legit old school phone and dial them up and say, this is what's going on. And there's no judgment on the other end. There is active listening and there is, P.S., the expectation you're going to do the same for them, right? But two-way street. Two-way street. But having that, having really confidence in yourself and having an internal conversation that says, I'm making this decision consciously. I know that there will be tough spots. I'm surrounding myself with people before I make the leap. And oh, by the way, always having your legal team involved as well, if you have those resources, <laughs> right? So, and, and your financial team. Yeah. So I resource up whenever I can to make sure that I've checked the boxes, do the assessment of, is this the right move for me? Can I afford it? Is it going to put me in a scenario that's going to be unsafe? If so, how unsafe? And then frankly, you just gotta go for it. And know on the other end, that same life team is going to pick you up and wipe off that scraped knee and pat you on the back and send you off on your way again. This idea of a life team, I feel like we don't talk about that enough because so much work and private life are so segmented and so separate. But the fact that these people can exist that will help you and lift you up in both. I mean, the last big career decision that I made when I came here I, I didn't even realize that I had a life team until you just said the word life team. And I was like, I had, oh my gosh, I, I had one of those. And there were people that I called the people that I would call for personal things, people that I would call for professional things, but it is ultimately kind of that village that makes you successful. And one thing that you said there that stood out to me too, was this idea of almost planning your pitfalls. Like we know that we're going to make mistakes. We know we're going to trip and fall down. We know things are going to be hard and going to be difficult do you feel like people need to do a better or more deliberate job actually planning for failure so that they have a way to maneuver it and succeed regardless? Well, so I'm a person who believes in the universe and I don't want to throw the, uh, let's throw some idea of I'm going to fail out there because maybe yeah. the universe might listen to loudly. But mm -hmm. I do think that if you are truly weighing the risk, you have to think about the potential. So can I afford, and I'm not saying financially only, but can I afford as a human to, do I have what I need to overcome a potential failure? Mm. And if I do, if I've got the people, if I have the resources, if I have the knowledge, if I understand myself well enough to take that risk, then take the risk. If I don't, maybe now's not the time. Maybe I need to build that life team. And I'll tell you what, I ask people if they'll be on my life team, right? I have the conversation, like, you know, call up whomever the person is, could be professional, personal, you know, blend and say, I really would love to have you as a member of my life team. And what does that mean? And a lot of people don't even necessarily understand what that means, right? But I've done some work. And so having that conversation and defining that and really setting sort of boundaries and expectations, and this is what I need from you. And even in any conversation with them, this is what I need right now from you. 
So I think giving yourself that and sort of insulating yourself to say, if I get hurt, which it hurts to fail, I'm going to be protected. I know that it's not going to be this, like, I'm going to bleed out and I'm not going to be able to come back from it. Yeah. And that's always the fear. The fear is always, if I fail too big, I'll never come back. So I'll just avoid it. And the other thing that you're talking about, this very deliberate, we'll call it network building, life team building. (laughs) I actually think that's a skill set. And people don't realize that. Like it takes an actual deliberate skill set to build a network personally and professionally. Do you feel like enough people have, call it the training or wherewithal that they need to be able to understand what it takes to build a network? Or is that kind of a known skill gap? I would say, especially for for women or anyone who is a minority, like I feel like it lacks there for a lot of folks. You know, it's interesting you say that because I've done some research on the topic and we, we frankly are not as good at building a network as we should be. We build rapport, we build relationships. That's it. We nurture, Yep. but we don't build the network. Why is it called a boys club? Right. Because they have their network, right? And so why don't we have a girls club? or a different than boys club, right? (laughs) Right. So whatever that looks like, I do think we need to get better at it. But the only way we get better at it is if we help each other. There need to be more that there needs to be more than one person in the network. And so I think if we are intentional about building that network and we say to ourselves, I know I need it. It's not having the network, it's not going on, on LinkedIn to reach out to a thousand people just to have a thousand people as your followers. Those people, by the way, when you need something and you call them, they don't answer. Right. They don't know you. They don't know you. So an intentional commitment to building a true network of people that know who you are and and vice versa, that I think is something we need to work on. And what it means to be a part of somebody's network. I think about mentorship versus sponsorship and how drastically different those two things are, especially when you apply any kind of gender, race, or cultural filter oh, yeah. on top of that. But I mean, the fact that my hypotheses of, I don't, I don't think women are as good as this. You're like, the data suggests they're not. I'm like, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. And I, and I'm trying to hone in on, on, on why that is. And one, I think. I think we don't think enough about sponsorship. We think in terms of, I want to build friendships. I want to have people that I know, but I don't know how to tap the network when I need it. I don't know how to actually ask for the sponsorship and say, hey, it's great that you're pumping me up and telling me that I'm really good at this and I should go for that job opportunity. And you're giving me the motivation that I need, but could you actually ping that guy that you know who is hiring Uh for this and tell him that you think, can you tell him that? Right. Uh-huh. It's that where it's asking for the external advocacy. I see a lot of women lifting each other up and that's a ama- Like we should keep doing that. But there's not enough. I'm going to lift you up, but also I'm going to put my name on the line for you. And I'm going to go tap them and say, you need to get in there. Right. And that's the sponsorship. That's right. I see men do a lot. Yeah. I would tell you, and I actually just had this conversation with someone that was navigating her career and There is more imposter syndrome from my perspective in women, in business, for lots of reasons that whole other podcast conversation we'd have to cover. And you and I both have experienced these things where I think there's so much imposter syndrome that pulls us down from the ask. 
I'm not good enough. I don't have the skill set. The, uh, the person in the role that whatever the case is, I don't think I'm good enough prevents us, prohibits us from going for the ask for the sponsorship. So how do you change that? I think the people who have gotten there, the people who can say I arrived, which frankly, I had my I've arrived moment. It's no longer for me a how am I going to get there? It's how am I going to help the next person and several of the next people get there? And there has to be more of that. There has to be more of those bruises and those scars and that pain, right? I want to help you get there more efficiently (laughs) in a way that's going to feel better. Maybe you get there sooner. Let me help you. Let me pick up the phone and call whoever that person is on the other side. You did say something, by the way, that struck me that I do have, I do want to go back with you if you're okay. Let's go with it. The issue with this building friendships part is we build friendships with people. Again, data supports it that look like us, talk like us, act like us, are from the same place we're from. And that doesn't help either. Mm -mm. Because that's only going to get you so far. That's only going to open so many doors. And this goes for sponsoring someone else and asking for it. So if I only ask women to sponsor me, then I'm only going to go certain places. If I only, you know, if I'm looking at people only who look like me, like we really need to be intentional about building a community of people that are not like us. I, th- I, this could not resonate with me more. Just this morning, I actually, sh- on LinkedIn, I actually shared thought leadership around this idea of what does diversity and equity and equality really, really look like? And we hear so much about In order to be diverse, we have to put a lid on, insert this voice here. And a lot of times that sounds like we need to hear less of this person and more of this person. And I was like, well, but but true equity and equality means equal representation from all of those. And what we're missing is the equal representation from the rest. So we're not trying to say that one should stop. We're saying the rest should absolutely speak up. And you're right. This is actually how companies wind up with issues with diversity, right? As everybody, most companies, they hire people from referrals, right? We pay our employees really well for referrals. And then who do people refer? Their friends, their family, their prior coworkers who likely look and think exactly like they do. And then we look around companies and we wonder why we only have one color or one gender or one orientation. And it's because we are comfortable with the people who look and think like we do, because it could feel dangerous to go outside of that. But it's not. That's where all of the growth exists. So how the heck do we get out of our bubbles? What do we do? It's another really great question for you. I'm going to keep doing that too today. (laughs) We pop pop the bubble. Like I'm going to pop your bubble. Because the only way you get out of your bubble is if you're forced out of it, because it's warm safe. And and a lot of people, right? A lot of people, group think, by the way, is vomitous to me. Being in a room of people who all think the same way, and that's what you're doing. You're creating a whole lot of people that are yes, yes, yes. And sometimes when you want to, when your ego gets in the way, you want people around you to say yes. And you're like, I have this great idea, don't you think? Versus I have this idea, but all of these people from different backgrounds, different experiences, right? The true diversity, ultimately this idea may become a unicorn, right? If only we tapped into others. So I think it goes back ultimately to the 
if I go to an unsafe place, am I going to be okay? Is my career going to leave the track if I happen to make different decisions about people I bring onto the team? Is this organization going to support me if I bring in people that are unlike others in the organization? And oh, by the way, those people have to feel included. Yeah. And celebrated. <laughs> and, and celebrated. Yeah. And uh, appreciated and valued yes. in all the yes. things. Do you think that our, we'll call them our professional echo chambers, oftentimes actually inhibit career growth? Like we think that our echo chamber and our team of cheerleaders is actually, I think people confuse that with their network and their support to get what they have to go. But do you think that there's a scenario where our various echo chambers actually stop us from our own personal progress? Yes, I do think. I do think. We've all been there. Yeah. I, I would guess that your question comes from a place that you've probably experienced it. And as you say it, like <laughs> I have these moments where I've, yeah. through this conversation, I'm like, I'm feeling my tear ducts. Like these, this is real. Yeah. This is a vulnerable moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I am too. You and I keep taking these tiny pauses where I think the conversation that we're having is hitting us really close to home because there's, I think, imposter syndrome combined with the network and echo chamber that you do have could almost be a really dangerous and volatile combination because you justify the imposter syndrome with the positive talkers in your echo chamber. And we need those people, but that keeps it comfortable, right? It's, am I a fraud? Am I terrible? No, you're great. You're wonderful. You're good. Okay. 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 I'm good. And when you talk about taking a risk, sometimes it is risky to just step outside of that and do something different and listen to somebody different. And I can think of scenarios in my life where my own echo chamber of people who I love dearly have potentially stopped me from seeing an issue that helped me be a better professional. Yeah. Yes. Same. I yeah. honestly was in a toxic situation at one point in my career and I was toxic at home. I wasn't the best mom. I wasn't the best significant other. I sort of knew it, but I was like, mm -mm, I'm going and you're doing great and keep yeah. up the good work and you're such a good leader. And I'll tell you what, mm -mm, I was an asshole sometimes and I didn't even realize it. And I look back and I say, oh my God, can I, what if that person was my leader? It's not a leader. And so that's exactly the feeling. It's like, I could have done things so differently if my chamber was like, look in the mirror. Yeah. Do you see what's going on? So yeah, yes. And that's so threatening, right? When you have to tell somebody that you love, when you have to call their kids ugly, that's really, really uncomfortable. And I think it goes down to, do, you're familiar with radical candor. Yeah. I try to live in this radically candid environment where every opportunity to show somebody that I care about them, I will show them that I care about them personally so that when the moment comes that I have to challenge them directly, I've earned the right, right? I've made three positive deposits so that I can make that one withdrawal. But don't worry, sure. more, more positive <laughs> deposits are coming in a different conversation. I firmly believe that people have to practice giving other people that they love or respect constructive feedback. That's also a skill. Oh, yeah, it is. 
Where do you think people can go to learn how to do that? Like, how do we know when it's a safe environment to tell somebody that we love that their kids are ugly, metaphorically speaking? Hopefully their kids aren't actually (laughs) ugly. And if they are, don't tell them. But in a work yeah, environment, don't, don't tell them, right? Your kids are beautiful. Do you think that this is a skill set that people should actively work to enable is how to tell somebody I love that I don't love what they're doing? Wow. Growth is like what drives me. So the only way that I realized what I described to you earlier from a toxicity and how I was behaving was that I worked on it. I got into an adv- peer advisory group where I actually sat down and unpacked it all, right? And oh, by the way, Brene Brown was part of that. So <laughs> she I, always, I is. always is. Those yeah. resources, right? <laughs> yeah. Those boundaries, that armor came off. Anyway, you have to practice it. It is not a natural, if it is, good for you. But most of us do not naturally have the ability to give feedback because I can be too harsh or I this or I that, right? And so again, you almost imposter syndrome yourself and like, I'm not going to do this well, so I'm just going to avoid it because I don't want to make an enemy or I don't want to say the wrong thing. The great news is the interwebs exist. So even if you don't have the financial ability to pay for a coach or to go the path that I went, look it up, read a book practice, practice with your own kids. Oh, by the Mm. way, (laughs) right? Every day. You can practice with friends. (laughs) But yes, I do believe many of what things we're talking about are not things that just come naturally to human beings. Well, and you mentioned too, and if you are one of those people where it comes naturally, good for you. I even sometimes with those people, I want to say, be careful because there are those people who say like, listen, listen, I'm a straight shooter, right? I do tough love. If I don't like what somebody does, I tell them. And there is such a thing as being obnoxious with your feedback where you are so intent on the fact that you're a tough love, I'm going to help them with tough love, that you also give feedback really poorly or in the wrong moments. Or you're giving great feedback and nobody can hear it because your communication is lacking. So even if you say, you know what, I'm really good at giving that constructive feedback. Like me personally, I train leaders at organizations to how to give effective, positive, and constructive mm. feedback. I trained them on it, and I still biff it here and there because I'm always working on it because I don't think it's something that you ever master. You're never like, I'm the master of constructive feedback. No, but you should be the master of continuing to learn how to do it and also acknowledging when you do it really poorly and then fixing it and saying something. It's the other great thing that you can do. When you give somebody really bad feedback or you don't show up the best way that you possibly can or you've hindered their growth in any way, my God, you got to tell them, you got to say something <laughs> like, I'm oh, sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. The transparency there is uh, literally, I had the moment of like, oh my goodness, had I not, I mean, you can ruin a relationship. You can ruin, I mean, ruin somebody's day is even not the best thing to do. Right. So yeah. Yeah. We don't know how many, we don't know at. how many, and we don't know how many we have, you know, we like ruining somebody. I mean, I, I take time very, very seriously. I talk about it a lot, but we don't we don't know how much time we have. And when you take somebody's time, that is their most precious resource. You better feel good about that. And if you don't, you better say something. You better say like, listen, I, I took that time of your life and I didn't I didn't make the best of it. And here's why. And I'm so sorry. And here's how I'm going to do better for you the next time. You can that. save a relationship like that. But man... Last question I have for you before we get into our rapid reveal is we talked a lot about career planning and being deliberate and not being afraid 
to take a leap. And I think so much of it comes down to one, we talked about knowing what you want to do, or at least knowing what you want to explore. Maybe you don't know what you want to do, but like go spelunking in your own life. What do you want to explore? What do you want to figure out? How do you think that every person should sit down and develop their career plan? Is that something that everyone should sit down and do? Does it happen as we go? How do we get deliberate and plan for our actual careers? What's the best way? I have sort of two answers. Personally, as an individual trying to plan your own career, it has to be deliberate and it has to really, I think you have to visualize yourself in those stages, we say three years, five years, however far into the future, what does that look like? What does it feel like? Where am I? Am I in a large company? Am I in a small, you know, think, put yourself, place yourself in different scenarios and visualize what is it, what am I doing? Am I leading? Am I an individual contributor? And I think not setting the expectation that it has to go a certain way but really, how do I want to feel? How's it smell? I mean, truly to that, I think, to that space. So that's an intentional, you know, journey, if you will, that you draw out for yourself. And I think choose your own adventure is okay too. So there's a couple different scenarios of how I'm going to get there or what I'm going to do. I had very much a choose your own adventure. The other piece of it is leaders need to help with career planning and not feel threatened that that person is going to potentially take your gig. You've done something right if you've brought people in who can take your job. Boom. Even you might not even be ready for it, but they are rock stars and they're going to crush it. And so give them that opportunity and put a structured plan in place where they can truly plan out what their next step looks like. All right. Well, that was beautiful, especially the... That last part there, I want to double tap on it. One of my favorite things to tell people when I'm sensing their ego is don't forget you're their soil. You're not their ceiling. You should be managing everybody with the hopes that one day they take your job and you're reporting to them because that's what leaders do is they try to develop people who are better than they are. And you have to go into it non-egotistically. And the fact that you said that, it made my heart sing. It's like, we need more leaders like that. It's singing. It's singing. It's going to sing what us right song into the singing is what I want to know. It's just like a, like a core, you know, like a movie trailer where it's like, oh, oh, oh. like not really a real song with something inspirational. And that brings us to our rapid reveal section. If you are down to jump in. I'm down. Let's do it. All right. We've got five questions, 60 seconds or less to answer each. Help us get to know you a little bit more. Maybe have some laughs. We'll see. Uh, number one, what is the best place that you've ever traveled to? Best place, U.S. I would say Big Sur makes my heart sing. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Big All right. Sur. going to add it to the list here because Gorgeous. I, I secretly... I secretly use this question to plan all the vacations that maybe one day I'll take. Okay. Number two, what is an irrational fear of yours? Irrational fear. Aging. Oh, can I hit me with that one? <laughs> Aging. I'm yeah. still under 30, by the way, in my mind. So. Oh, me too. I, I always say I stopped aging at 29. So everyone, I'm 29. I'm still 29. Always going to be t- like, I read Dorian Gray and I was like, how did he do it? How did he do it? I just, somebody paints a picture of me that I can put somewhere that'll age instead of me. my kid still thinks I'm 29 for the record. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I'm not. I, 
Even when I joked to my four and a half year old, my last birthday that I had, where I sure didn't turn 29, but I told him, I was like, oh, I turned 20. He's like, mom, you're old. And I was like, you're old. <laughs> dare you. <laughs> All right, number three, what's a pet peeve of yours? Mm. Bad table manners. The like lean. What? The lean. Well, the, you know, like, are you asleep or are you yeah. eating a meal? Or like you're in an old timey tavern, you know, eating with your hands. Yeah. I actually mm-hmm. sometimes want to use my fork to poke my child's elbow. I'm like, this <laughs> is not how we eat. <laughs> yeah. Don't take it. There's a medieval times near Chicago where they basically want everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, go back in time. Don't use utensils. Eat with your hands. My son was having a heyday and I was sitting there like, great. Mm-hmm. Cool. Number four, who was the last person to inspire you? I've talked about my small person, my son. He inspires me daily. He has been through a lot in his 14 years and he's resilient and kind and all the things. So I do this for that kid and he is an inspiration. Well, cheers to you for raising a kind human being in the world. If only everyone could do the same. So you, got, you. you got the, you punched me in the mom feels on that one. So thanks. Number five, what's a unique skill of yours? I am a really good coach. I believe that my superpower is bringing out things in people that they don't realize they have. And it, when I see it and when I feel it, I am such a happier person. It just, that's the thing. So yes. I could not agree more. I think even in this conversation, I had a lot of moments where you made me just kind of stop and think. And that's what good coaches do is they ignite that fire within the person they're talking to, to make them go, Oh, whoa, whoa. I didn't see it that way. And you're guiding them through this experience You've done that for me, and I imagine that there are a lot of people who are going to hear this conversation and naturally want to lean into you. So where can people find you, learn about you, or even learn about your company and the incredible things that you're doing over there? So my email is Megan and Isellas, E-S-E-L-L-A-S dot com. I am on LinkedIn, and I love meeting new people and networking. So even just for that, please hit me up. And I, by the way, I cannot wait to spend more time with you. So this has been the same for me and not often do I have these moments. So I'm looking forward to more of you, my friends. Well, that's it. We are, we are friends now. And that's what this is all about is incredible women finding other incredible women. And that's how we, that's how we change what this world looks like. So thank you for coming and spending your incredible time with us. This was a wonderful conversation and I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you too. See you soon. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Taking the Lead. If you're looking for more inspiring stories from women leaders in B2B tech, then visit us at motionagency.io slash taking the lead.